Hi, this is Grant Sangrown, Director of Product Development at the Upper Deck Company and shameless Jack Kirby fanboy, and you're listening to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast. Hello everybody, my name is Ian Taylor and welcome to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast, brought to you by the Marvel Cards Fan Collective an awesome community of car collectors and creators. You can find our two groups on Facebook, details of which are at the end of this podcast, so come check us out. With me, as always, is my co-pilot in all things Marvel cards. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate and tease me they won't leave in the night i've no fear that they might desert me just like knowing rad at us from time to time it just wow just yes. wow i i channeled my inner shirley bassey for you then no i saw it i mean i saw her spirit hanging over your head in that moment it was it was is very i have no words I have no words yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't good for a podcast. Uh, we, we, we should point out that Shirley Bassey is actually still alive. No, her spirit... She's astro-projecting, okay? I know that. <laughs> I, and I know who she is, okay? I'm totally right. up to... Right. Just checking. ...knowledge Just checking. of who this Just singer checking. is. Singer, yes. yes. And, and you know, do you know yes. where she's from? Do you know what nationality she is? I know she was... Born as a person in a country of some sort. How close Welsh. am I? She's Welsh. Welsh. I like yeah. the Welsh. I think the Welsh are cool. You guys, yeah. you know, make fun of them a lot, but I think the Welsh are cool. So. Do you know any Welsh people, Norrin? <laughs> no, none, none, none. No, really? Are you serious? Our oh, no, guest no, no. is Welsh. I, I know some Welsh people. Oh, My I was about man. to say, man. Free animals. Ah, okay, 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 okay. Well, you know who I really like is the actor from The Americans who was also in... um, Matthew uh, Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese, who's just a phenomenal actor. And he's Welsh, really Welsh. Yeah, Mm -hmm. proper Welsh. Proper Welsh. He speaks highly of you. Of course he does. We talk all the time. We're buddies. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good guy. Good guy. I don't like, I feel like every time I talk about him, it's always about him. You know what I mean? So I don't tell everybody and we're friends. I, um, I was going to do the bit, the, you the Bond thing where he goes, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. But that's from Goldfinger. Not Diamonds. How dare you. So anyway, um, we <laughs> I'm, I'm not to trust your credibility at all, Ian. Come yeah, on. no, we need to introduce our guest. Otherwise, we're just going to talk about Bond films all evening. Um, yes. I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next 90 minutes or so, uh, because we have a wizard with us, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, sir, introduce yourself and, and, what, and what you do. Uh, gentlemen, my name is Grant Sanground. I uh, my technical title is the director of product development at Upper Deck. So, in so my awesome. mind, in my mind, you're the man who kind of makes everything come together in terms of all the guys who come up with the ideas for the sets, and, and you're overseeing that, which is why I called you the wizard. Would that, would that be correct? Kind of. That's that's reasonably correct. Sort of like. Um, 
How could I say? Sometimes I've likened my role a little bit to a, although I'm not as screaming mad and angry as Gordon Ramsay, um, sort of like Gordon Ramsay controlling the pass on Hell's Kitchen uh, to make sure that every plate is nice and looks ready for the customers um, and, uh, you know, making sure that the, the products are as good as they can be. But I've got, we've got a amazing uh, group of talented people that work, uh, put their blood, sweat and tears and their heart into these products, um, you know, to, to make them as good as they can be absolutely awesome wow. so have you um have you ever worked in a restaurant no but i've eaten in them yes see yes. that's enough that's I enough in have, my experience no, i never have and i am a bit of a self-admitted foodie um but no I, i've never actually worked in a restaurant uh, it's, a, it's a truly terrifying experience working in a professional kitchen i did it for 15 months um it's uh it's uh, certainly eye-opening anyway i digress um so so we we uh, the clumsy intro <laughs> to this evening's episode um, was because we're going to be talking about Black Diamond, which uh, which sounds tremendously exciting. But b- before we get on to Black Diamond, um, so 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 how long have you been up a deck? What what's your how did you get to where you are now? What's your what's your origin story? Uh, my origin story. Okay, well, uh, first off, I started with Upper Deck uh, in 2008, the winter of 2008. So I've been here about 12 years. So I've got some time under my belt, um, seen a few things here. Um, and prior to that, I uh, worked at a company called Beckett Publications, uh, Beckett Media now. Um, but I was hired uh, by Beckett coming right out of college. I attended college at UC Santa Barbara, and I was actually interviewed by them during my senior year uh, for a, a job opportunity, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, I was a radio TV film major at UC Santa Barbara in the, uh, you know, late 1800s. Uh, I'm <laughs> young. Um, and uh, one thing led to, I, I believe it or not, prior to that, uh, I was an avid trading card collector as a little kid. I started collecting cards dating all the way back to the late 1970s. So I was one of the kids that bought Star Wars cards. Uh, I bought wow. a lot of cards. I bought Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica. I bought Charlie's Angels. Um, and I bought all the sports stuff, too. So I bought baseball and football and basketball. I bought everything. So I was a bit of um, a bit of a how can I say, a bit of a unicorn uh, in that a lot of entertainment card collectors um, will focus kind of exclusively on entertainment. A lot of sports collectors will focus exclusively on sports. Certainly, it is not uncommon to have collectors that enjoy both, um, but I was certainly one of them, and that was right from the beginning as a little kid. I I was as madly passionate about finishing my Star Wars sets uh, as I was about finishing my Topps baseball sets. So um, I've kind of had entertainment and sports in my blood, even as a child, and um, l- always loved cards, always loved comic books, too. I was a mad keen comic book collector. I loved drawing when I was a kid. I drew and drew and drew. I drew my own terrible, terrible comic books when I was a kid. <laughs> Um, I grew up in L.A., so I had the good fortune of having a lot of comic book shops in L.A. I mean, there was comic book shops in the 70s in Los Angeles. It was amazing. Wow. Um, And I've got some neat stories um, that I could share. Uh, I'll I'll tell you. Can I tell you one? You can tell us whatever you want to. All right. I'll tell you one really cool story. Um, I started collecting comic books like an absolute maniac in about 1979. It just consumed my life. My closet soon got all the clothes got thrown out and comic books 
got stacked up there. And, um, you know, uh, once a week, I'd beg my parents to take me to his great comic book shop called the Fantasy Castle on Ventura Boulevard. It's not there anymore. It's a sushi restaurant now, but it was the bee's knees back in the day. Um, and I there was there was really good comic book shows back in the day. Um, I would attend shows once a month. My dad would take my uh, myself and some friends um, and take us down to some of the great shows. I can't remember the name of the hotel. What was the name of the hotel that Bobby Kennedy got shot at? Was that in L.A.? Oh, it was a famous hotel in L.A., um, right in Hollywood. Um, they used to have an amazing comic book show about once every two months. And my dad would take me to, there with some friends, treat us to lunch, and we'd go run around buying comic books. Um, and that was some of the best memories to this day, remain some of my best memories as a child. And um, so I was mad keen collecting comics. And as, as stated, lived in, in L.A., there was, a, there was another comic book shop on Ventura Boulevard called um, All-Star Comics. Uh, no, All-American. I'm sorry. All-American Comics in Studio City. Again, not there anymore. It was on a second floor. You had to kind of walk up a rickety staircase to get up oh, there. I love that. Like old comics when you went in there. It was so awesome. Yeah. And I used to That's have to take awesome. the bus. I used to take the bus because it was like 20 miles away from the, the suburbs where I grew up. And a friend of mine uh, and I would take the bus to go to um, uh, All-American Comics about once every three months or so. And they had, one day they had announced that they were going to get no none other than Jack Kirby to sign comics for free just to swing on by and and meet Jack Kirby and take a photo and have some comics so I managed to do that and I met Jack Kirby when I was about years old and had him sign some books I still have those books to this day what I don't have and what I literally trade the books for is a photograph of me and Jack and I don't have that uh, which is a total bummer but, um, you know, I'll, I'll remember that always. And I'm so glad I do still have uh, some of the books he signed for me. Um, but uh, I had um, such a fun time collecting comics when I was a kid. And I stopped wow. collecting comics, I would say, by about 1984, 83. I kind of phased out. You know, I was getting to the age where I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old. And, and I really got more into trading cards at that point in time. It was really more into sports cards. I got hardcore into baseball cards and basketball cards. Michael Jordan was exploding. Um, and I loved yeah. all my um, but I, and I kept them all. Uh, and then eventually I, I, I moved to college and um, I sold off most of my comic collection when I graduated from college because I needed money to buy a bed and whatever uh but i kept <laughs> one box of comics i kept one box, and i had so many i had oh my gosh half a ton of them I, I don't know um but i kept all my kind of my better comics i had some early fantastic fours i, I you know some early avengers early x-men um classics oh. and I, I kept probably a box of 100 comics and i never looked at them for literally 30 years just went on with life, and um, I did start collecting comics again. I, I moved to Dallas after I graduated from Santa Barbara at college. I uh, got that job offer from Beckett. They were based in Dallas, Texas. And I moved as a 22-year-old, not knowing a soul in, in Texas. I didn't know anybody, um, and took that job opportunity. It was a great, great job, fantastic company. Fan, Jim Beckett's a fantastic guy. Um, and uh, I did start collecting some independent press books, um, stuff like Stray Bullets, uh, David Lapham, is an absolute genius yes. 
mine. Yeah. Huge Stray Bullets guy. Um, I, I collected Hate, uh, a comic book called Hate um, by uh, Peter Baggy, um, which is not as uh, divisive as it sounds. It was actually a hilarious, really funny comic book. But I, cl- I didn't really collect the mainstream superhero stuff because I was, you know, 25, 30 years old. And I wanted, you know, I had just different tastes at the time. Um, so I collected some of that stuff. Um, but then um, now, moving, flipping forward, about five years, I'm, I'm married now, I got a couple kids, um, and this was about four years ago, five years ago, my young son at the time, he must have been six years old, had a friend over, and uh, they were talking about the Marvel films, because a lot of he and his friends love the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all the films, um, and they got to talking about, I don't know, Spider-Man or something like that, and my son blurts out, my dad has some cool old comic books, and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't even know where they are. So he wanted to show some of these comics to his friends. So I went and dug them up out of the garage and we kind of looked through them a little bit. And that just kind of reignited um, the passion I had forgotten I had for these books and, and just the fond, truly fond memories I had of collecting comics and enjoying the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Marvel Universe of publishing at that time. And it also uh, allowed for my son and I to start going to comic book shops together and, and do some really great father-son bonding. So now I live in San Diego, home of Comic-Con. There's amazing yeah. comic book shops here. Amazing comic book shops here. So lucky. Uh, SoCal Comics. I'll give a shout out to SoCal Comics. Um, it, uh, just off of Convoy Street in San Diego. If you ever get a chance to visit San Diego, go check them out. They are literally like the Library of Congress of comic books. They have like, oh, three copies of Amazing Fantasy 15 sitting around and three copies of Fantastic Four One sitting around uh, under glass in a case. But I mean, you go in there and you're like, just like, oh, Superman <laughs> is sitting there. It's just ridiculous. And many comic book shops, understandably, they focus on the new releases and the new comics. But I'm a, you know, a grumpy old curmudgeon that loves the, those old books from the Silver yeah. Age and Bronze Age. That's the stuff I remember and, and really love. Um, and I started backfilling my collection, all the stuff I had sold off. And uh, and it was it, it was so fun. And my, my son decided to start, uh, Norrin, you'll love this. He started to decide that Silver Surfer was his favorite character. So so we started working on the original one through 18 run. Jack uh, Kirby number 18, by the Jack way. Jack Kirby. Of all time. Um, and, you know, we, we've gotten pretty good. I actually had Silver Surfer 4 from back in the day when I was a kid, the classic cover with Thor. Um, yes. Silver Surfer 1, but I sold it in college for, like, beer money. Not a great idea. Um, so, you know, I don't, oh, we don't have one. Fair. We don't have three with Mephisto. But we managed to get all the other books. So it's been really fun collecting comics with my son over the past five years. Uh, although he sort of phased it out recently a little bit more. And he got into Pokemon for a while. Now he's reassessing what he wants to do with his collecting. But I still love all the collecting. So um, that's a little bit of my backstory. Um, and kind of now I'm at Upper Deck uh, after working at Beckett. I was hired at Beckett for many years. Um, I tracked the trading card market. Um, I covered the sports cards. I covered the entertainment cards. I helped build all the databases for all the checklists. And a lot of the entertainment stuff, it was like the Wild West. You had to research stuff to literally get it cataloged yeah. for the first time. Um, and it was great. It was, it was great fun. Um, and then I had the opportunity in 2008 to go from being uh, essentially a market analyst, uh, you know, tracking the market on trading cards, archiving the checklists for trading cards. And I did a lot of editorial work and, and I wrote 
endless amount of articles for Beckett uh, during my tenure there, and I loved it. Um, but I had the opportunity to kind of, you know, move my family to San Diego from Dallas and uh, take on the challenge of uh, getting further down the belly of the beast and, and getting directly involved with the trading card manufacturer. Wow. Just amazing. Just amazing. I won. I love that story so much. And it's so great that it's come full circle between you and your dad and now you and your son with collecting and going to card shows. Just so kind. And just so everybody knows, Grant has been like (laughs) the last time we spoke, we, we spoke off air to prepare this or whatever. Grant is the real deal, man. Your knowledge is definitely deep on the whole Marvel comics realm. Things that I forget artists and so forth. Just fantastic stuff, man. So much fun. So much fun to hear about that in your journey getting back into cards. Really yeah, great. It's it's such a joy to take a, a, something that's so near and dear to who I am and it's been baked into my DNA for decades and I get to go to work and make work on that stuff. It's so awesome. <sighs> I love the publishing as much as I love the Marvel, the MCU stuff. And and I'm sure we'll have a chance to kind of delve into that uh, because to me, they're two different buckets of content. They're similar, but they're different. Uh, And they present different challenges and they present, um, you know, different opportunities to really make some cool stuff that makes you go home and and you're just like, wow, did we just do that? That's so cool. <laughs> the interesting thing is, I'm sure it must be. I mean, I, there was a, a fine chap that we had on the show uh, a couple of months ago called Brad Galley, who is a sports broadcaster out of uh, Detroit, I want to say. Um, but he's really into his MCU, and he's put YouTube videos up of him opening product that I'm sure you had a very, very big fingerprint on, um, where he's opened them with his three-year-old son. So and so, you know, do you have you ever kind of? I mean, I don't know if you go to, you know, it's like as an example, if you're Gordon Ramsay, you probably go home and then you have beans on toast because you don't want to spend you, you don't want to be doing loads of cordon bleu cooking in your own kitchen. So, you know, when you when you leave the the office space or the working realm, do you disconnect completely or do you actually watch things where people may be breaking or opening or do you actively seek or find videos where people might, might, might see your product being enjoyed? As a married man, I have to answer that diplomatically. Okay. Uh, because I for all of the uh, married listeners, uh, we all know there's a careful balance uh, between uh, your hobbies and, and your family. And, you know, I really respect that. So I try and take my working cap off and focus on the time that I can spend with my family. Now, fortunately, my son loves some of this stuff, so I get to do some some cool stuff. You know, like talking about comics and uh, going to some shows and stuff like that uh, with him. But when I when I get home, I you know we try and focus on having family meals together and sitting down together sure. and, and spending some time together. Okay. Well, it's funny because I direct quote from my wife: "If I have to see another card break, I'm gonna have to break you." Direct quote from my loving wife. So I definitely understand the balance. Uh, she was like, this card break goes on for how many hours? I was like, yeah, hon, it's 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 oh. deep. It's a deep yeah, sickness. But, well, you know, fortunately, you can listen to podcasts while you drive. You can, you know, th- there are opportunities to kind of take shameless in, plug. And I try and I do try and keep up on breaks um, uh, at work. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm known to work through many a lunch. My lunches are 10 minute affairs typically. So 
I can kind of uh, track some podcasts then or watch some breaks then. And, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. I find some time. Yeah. Good. Well, so funny enough, and you mentioned earlier about bridging about them being two different buckets in terms of Marvel publishing and Marvel cinematic. Um, what I want to really point out and ask the bigger question is like, you know, what are the some different challenges that one, one particular venue like Mar- Marvel publishing, as opposed to Marvel cinematic, what are the different challenges each type of set, um, kind of bring up i mean you know if you look at the marvel cinematic stuff you guys have done judging from other ips i've seen in other card companies do and i'm being very serious about this and i've I've had a deep dive on star wars and multiple things recently you you do a very good job of picking really solid solid images right they're very clear the clarity is really nice the cuts are really nice the design i mean there's some really good selective choosing on how to highlight these characters and their poses and everything and i thought avengers endgame was some of the best autographs had some of the best steals uh stills from these uh actors i thought that was done so impressively so what are some of the different challenges that both things have yeah i'll touch upon some of the uh photo issues that you're talking about there that is an um an area that's completely different in the marvel Studios side of product development versus marvel publishing obviously and um even though these are some of the biggest films in the history of film, um, you know, making billions of dollars, it's not like we have uh, an a endless amount of images available to us. There is a, a finite amount of images that the licensor will put into their style guide that we can utilize and screenshots, um, though sometimes we may have some limited access to screenshots, they're not as sharp as the ones that they will professionally, uh, you know, kind of preserve and, and, and put in their style guide. So, um, and as a uh, licensee of Marvel, we are typically, I far more uh, we have far more demands and needs than the standard licensee. If you're making a t-shirt or a coffee mug, you kind of just need one image and off or a logo and off you go, right? You can make your your widget. If you're making right. a set of Avengers Endgame, you need 90 cards for the base set, another 40 cards for autogra- or images, uh, another 40 images for the autographs. You need approvals up and down. You've got to go pursue um, acting talent, which is an entire discussion unto itself. Um, wow, in delving wow. into the world of Hollywood and agencies, uh, especially with the revenues associated with these films, um, you, you might imagine that it's not exactly easy um, just landing deals by snapping your fingers. It, it's, a, it's a lot of work involved in that sense. Um, on the publishing side, um, you, uh, you have the, the style guide from Marvel Publishing, so you've got a good deal of past um, uh, artwork that's used, but we know, we all know, you guys know, I know, that the uh, collectors get pretty excited when you say, hey, the base set for product X coming out in the future has original art. All new art um, done by artists so-and-so, you know, like a Dave Palumbo or, you know, uh, or some of the fantastic artists that that, uh, we, that have done work for us on our Ultra products. Um, so yeah. we, we know that. And we try and balance it. You can't have original artwork for the entirety of a base set for everything you release. You'd never get things out the door. You'd just be dealing with artists forever because, as you might imagine, the, the art takes quite some time. Yeah. There's a reason yeah, Masterpiece yeah. buy it or every two years instead of once a year, and that's because it takes the artist a long time to get the stuff done. Um, so you've got 
got some right. challenges in that sense. But from a product builder's perspective, if you're a product manager and your job is to build products that people will be excited about buying and, and rip through packs looking for things, you have to answer the question, why am I why are why is my customers why are my customers buying this box of publishing product versus this box of of studios product. So they have totally different product drivers. The content drivers are entirely different. Uh, overall on the Marvel Cinematic side, the 800 pound gorilla is, is actor autographs. We know that. We know that. We try and be as creative as we can outside of that space and, and deliver really cool metal cards or shadow box cards or lenticular cards or what we call technology cards. We try and deliver fun, cool technology cards and we try and deliver thoughtful themes on inserts. Um, that, that people will think would be really cool. And we've, we've had some very creative ideas from uh, from our staff, from the staff of, of guys that work in my in my area, and they do a great job with that. Um, but on, um, on the publishing side, you don't have an autograph from Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth that you know is immediately, it doesn't really take a genius to take a Tom Holland autograph, drop it into a pack of cards, and you know that's going to be a, a highly desirable card. You know, it doesn't. That does not take any creative creative genius. Um, <laughs> it does take a bit of uh, a deft um, negotiation from our talent <laughs> uh, relations staff to, you know, kind of find the contracts, and it takes some creative work on our sides to budget enough money to get these actors to sign, and still have enough money to make cool cards because you got to pay yeah. your printer. So there's that financial strain of like how much money do you put into the autographs versus how much money do you put into the technology and, and the set itself. If you want a large checklist, a 250-card set, well, that costs a lot more money than a 100-card set, and you're not going to have as much money to spend on autographs. So yeah. there's some of those challenges, whereas if you go over to publishing, you have other what I would call key drivers for content, these sort of carrots that people will chase. If I'm a big player and I want to buy a whole case of cards or if I want to take part of a break, what am I looking for? Because there are no Tom Holland autographs there. Um, and it's been a really fun um, area to try and build out. And it's something I focused with my staff over the past four years or so since I've really gotten heavily um, delved into uh, kind of overseeing the entertainment trading card division is how do we build uh, a cupboard of enticing case hit chase cards in publishing that people will go, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, myself and uh, the staff, the product um, development staff, we've spent a good amount of time kind of taking a look at like what kind of assets can we build and um, and how can we build upon and, and grow them? Because some of the assets were there in-house before I really got involved about four or five years ago. Like, let's say um, comic clippings, where you take a, a vintage comic book and you frame a panel and you embed it into a trading card. We know that's been around for a decade or so. Um, but what do you do with that idea to make it more thematic? How can you improve it? Um, so we, uh, and I'm sure you've probably seen in recent releases, we've actually paired a clipping with an autograph from a creator. Yeah. So you can get a Jim Steranko right. card that has a Steranko autograph with a perfect panel of Nick Fury from 1968 out of Strange Tales. And there's a little headshot of Jim Steranko on there. That comes straight up from my trading card, my sports trading card knowledge, because we know on the sports side, 
side. Um, that kind of thing of taking a swatch of a, a player's jersey or uniform and pairing it with an autograph, to me, is kind of like a, hot, a, a similar beast to taking yep. a comic cut panel from Jim Steranko or Jim Starlin or any of these other, in my mind, legendary legendary creators um to me that's like babe ruth and lou gehrig and jackie robinson and all these legends i i look and i I see you know frank miller and john byrne and 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 kirby and lee and and sinat and all these guys as as, and and ramita jr and and, and all the guys as legends and and i really think that's an untapped area that we can continue to delve into content to, to deliver some what I have, and I can't really talk in great depths about it, but some truly jaw-dropping case hit chase cards coming up in the future uh, that will utilize some of these ass- assets we're talking about. Well, this is this well, is why funny, I enjoyed. Yeah. Oh uh, no, I was, I was going to say. Let me, just, no. let me just say this, and then you can do. But this is why go, I was, go, um, go, go. Because it's kind of related. This is why I really enjoyed the um, uh, Marvel Annual uh, this this yes. year, when you brought in just that nice little tidy set of nine Creator Corner autos, yeah. um, because they they're interesting. They're not your classics. They're not your 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 Sinkovich, your Storenko, your Stalin, your Ron Lim. You know, they're current hot young properties who are driving some of the best content coming out of Marvel for, for, for years at the moment, you know, um, McNiven, Soul, Kelly Sue, DeConnick, you know, those guys. And I love that you've, you've kind of brought that because there was a little bit of that with some of the masterpieces sets in the late noughties. Um, and I've not seen, and I think retro had some of that and beginnings obviously had a lot of the classics and a lot of through, right through to the bronze age and um, almost as current as that came out. But, hasn't been tapped in a while so for me that was brilliant going back to that because you know i cherish those as much as those legends absolutely it's a really good point um with my um personal leanings i i my knowledge and my passions lean towards the older um artists and the older um eras but we have a a staff of people that are just they're reading comics every day they're reading you know two books a day and and are wildly passionate wildly knowledgeable um uh, on our staff about the new artists and the new wave of incredible talent Uh, and there is some amazing modern talent that we are um actively in pursuit to expand our coverage to deliver autographs so i want to run from you know uh autographs from a guy like Staranko from the 60s all the way to like Jonathan Hickman or, or some of the guys yes. who are the creators not not just the artists but some of the writers yes. too um, that that truly gives a the breadth of the Marvel publishing universe from um, you know 50 years ago up to today and we've got some products on tap that are going to run the course of all that history oh. together it's going to be really cool and the creator corner cards you talked about Ian they're really cool because they're totally different than what we did 10 years ago. The, when you said prior to Untapped, there was no imagery of that creator on the card. It was just a cover with an, uh, with an autograph scrawled over it where there wasn't even an, a hit of opaque to see the autograph cleanly. So, And they didn't resonate that strongly with collectors from us. Now, certainly I'm sure some people liked it, but I'd like to think that the Creator Corner ones are an, an evolution in the right step to really um, highlighting these creators and then ch- pairing them in, in a trading card format properly. And we've got more cool content for the modern creators on tap that we're really, really excited about. 
I mean, it has happened, right? I've seen bricks of Marvel beginnings where people are getting those comic covers and they don't, can't see the autograph. You know, they have to flash it in the light to see the silver autograph, you know? And I, and I think what you've done with the design of these, especially for like 80th and like it looks like Marvel Ages that's coming up, right? It's so nicely proportioned where you get to see the artist, you can see the panel, you see the signature. And I think a lot of creator, a lot of collectors who were in the whole Silver Age uh, Marvel comic creators 1998 kind of background where they had the Marvel creators right you had a Stan Lee sketchograph you know what I mean where it was really the old school creators yeah that's kind of now making a really nice resurgence and I do think it's been missing in the hobby for a bit and you have so many good characters that you guys are using now like Miss Marvel and Lady Deadpool and all these other people who are kind of been they're new you have the creators they're around and I think they're it's great utilized now i think i think it's a step in the right direction for sure that i'm excited to see yeah absolutely so let's um let i want to talk about what we are going to talk about um black diamond because um i have some speaking to your colleagues they, they all kind of pointed they all kind of turned and basically pointed at you and said this is this is grant's kind of baby you know this is something he's really passionate about so you've got to talk to grant about black diamond so so i i now i hadn't heard of black diamond um until this was solicited as coming up from from upper deck uh for 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 mcu focus i believe is it uh, that's correct yeah yeah it, it covers um, the first uh, 23 films phases one through three wow okay but black diamond is apparently is apparently quite a thing so for those who might might not be as familiar as it like 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 me tell us about the black diamond and the thinking behind bringing that into into marvel sure sure absolutely so um black diamond is uh, a, a brand that debuted in the late night mid to late 1990s right around 1996 it debuted and at that point in time um we issued um black diamond hockey uh we did black diamond baseball uh, i think debuted about 1998 and we put football out there nfl football right around 1999 and the hockey br- uh, product has run continuously since 1996 so it's got a 24 25 year history wow. in the sports wow. card market okay um and uh, in, uh, let me think, in 2015, five years ago, um, with a hockey license, we had a an Uber prospect at the time named Connor McDavid, who's basically one of the best players in the universe right now in, in hockey. And we knew it as a thir- as a kid. He was known as an amazing talent. We flipped that brand from um, a mid-level brand that was about $5 per pack into what we call a super premium brand. And it was about $200 per pack at that point. So it was a radical adjustment to to the brand the brand had gotten a little tired um after some you know i don't know whatever the 15 to 18 years um and uh the the at that time the sports market was hungry for more super premium content it, specifically they wanted something super premium early in the hockey season so they wanted it to release right after the puck dropped 
sometime around Christmas time because the hockey season starts typically in a normal year, early October. To do that, and Black Diamond was the perfect brand to do it. It was in the right time of the year to do it, and it didn't require what we call um, on-card autographs or hard-signed autographs. Um, and it was driven, un- unlike being driven by autographs, this brand, we repositioned it, took advantage of the name, and we made it anchored on Diamond Relic trading cards. And we were the first company. It actually dates all the way back to 20... Oh, gosh, around 2012, 2013, we did the first ever Diamond Relic trading card. That was... So there are cards of prospects. Um, they're, they're veterans now, but like Nathan McKinnon is a superstar in hockey. Um, he had uh, one of the first ever diamond relic trading cards. So we were the first ones to get out there and put a diamond into a card. Wow. Those cards were raffled off in a super raffle back then. It was it was really amazing. You got like a Willy Wonka golden ticket in packs of black diamond 2013. There was like only 20 of them in the entire run. And it was like a congratulations card. You are... Wow. Um, you are uh, invited to um, participate in a live event where your name will be put on a ping pong ball and we will pick a draft order for you to pick from one of these 20 cards that are one of one unique cards. Uh, it was a really cool, really wow. cool. the first Diamond Relic card we ever did. We did it in 2013. Love it. Um, and then eventually, two years later, we did a whole brand anchored on the concept of Diamond Relics because we try and build our calendars and our brands saying each having unique reasons to exist. We don't want all the brands to just blur together looking all like the same. They all should have their own personality and profile. So when we wanted to make Turn Black Diamond from a $5 pack into a $200 pack, it needed to have some real wow and it needed to have some real standalone factors for existence. So the Diamond Relic angle was really great. So the rookie cards in that hockey product were limited to 99 copies per card and they had anywhere from one to four diamonds embedded in them based on the buzz uh, and the anticipation for their forthcoming career. So Connor McDavid had four diamonds in his and a lesser prospect may have had one diamond. And that Connor McDavid card out of the gate um, commanded around $2,000 in value. So it, it kind of worked. And the brand the brand is now on its sixth year in hockey um, and is, is a very popular product. And um, we had for quite some time, I really wanted to get a product into the Marvel Cinematic um, group of releases for trading cards that we do that didn't focus just on one film or one TV show. I wanted to take all of the names and make a super product. And I wanted to do that right away when I started like four or five years ago. I'm like, we gotta do this. We, somehow, some way we gotta get this moving. And it took a long time to get it in motion. Um, but it turns out the Black Diamond was the right kind of brand to do it. You need to build equity. We know realistically there are certain actors in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that are virtually impossible to get under contract for signing. We all know who their names are. Uh, and for one reason yeah. or another, they're just sort of, you can't land them. Um, you know, they don't wake up out and get out of bed for less than $100,000, let alone trying to uh, get them under contract. They're just no amount of money. Um, and some of them just don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. So you need to deliver value on some of those characters in a format outside of autographs. And the Diamond Relic cards allow you to do that. So you're going to have a couple different um, uh content drivers in your pocket to help sell this product and get people excited um, that if you get a Robert Downey Jr. card 
well, you're not going to get autographed, but we have an amazing array of diamond relics. And I'll go and explain some of the, the lineup of the diamond relic cards mm. in this product, um, or Scarlett Johansson, or someone like that that has proven elusive yeah. to us over the years. Despite our efforts, we I promise you we try on a regular basis. <laughs> um, but we had to, I wanted to make sure we had a product that made sense, that had a key content driver that was right in the middle of its content theme that didn't rely on autographs. And then, of course, deliver the autographs, too, for the people we can. And we have an amazing, uh, a really nice uh, lineup of signers for this product. And we can get into some of the details there uh, as to who's signing as well. But I wanted to be, provide balance for any character you want, any actor you like. There's going to be amazing chase cards, whether they have autographs or not. That was one of the reasons, like, why is it Black Diamond? Well, it, it has history because, let's face it, we know a lot of sports collectors are now straying into our world of Marvel trading cards. It's happening. It's yeah. happening. It's blowing up in front of our faces over the past nine to twelve months, and it's just gaining yeah. steam. Right? Um, they and and they are familiar with the content of Black Diamond, what it is as a product. They know the ceilings of value established. That some of those rookie cards can easily get up to a couple thousand bucks. So there's a big chase in there. Um, and you've you've also got some of the most amazing autograph cards in there. So that's kind of what we wanted to do. We also wanted to make sure we had a deep lineup of signers. And the only way to do that is to take all the films together and say all of a sudden, like I come from the sports world. So when I, we're doing a hockey product, we look at the NHL Players Association as a group of athletes that are available to us to build checklists. And it's like, I don't know, 900 to 1,000 or 750 to 900 wow. athletes that you can just say, okay, I'm going to build a 300 card checklist and I'm going to take the best 300 guys and they're all available to me with our group licensing. If you're doing a product in entertainment, let's say you do, you know, the Avengers films were pretty good because they had a long cast of characters, right? especially Endgame. But if you had a product like Black Panther, um, you know, you've only got... A, there's only so many actors that had speaking roles in the film. B, of those actors with speaking roles in the film, several of them may not be, we may not even be allowed to pursue for an autograph contract because um, our contract with Marvel may not have the marketing rights for those actors. Particularly, I'll give you an example, like Ant-Man movies. We can't do Michael Douglas or Michelle Pfeiffer because they don't have the marketing rights associated with those films. Right. So you can't even make trading cards of them. So um, even though Ant-Man is one of the 23 films that is part of Black Diamond, there will be, you may wonder, well, how come Michael Douglas doesn't have a card? Because, or Robert Redford as the president of the United States in the Avengers Endgame movies. No, no marketing rights. So you, you can't touch them. Um, so hmm. there's some of, some of those hurdles associated with it as, as well. But um, getting back to uh, why we did it, we, w we wanted that, that big roster. I wanted to replicate how can we get 200 actors to go look at uh, to submit to Marvel for like, can we go pursue them for actors, uh, for uh, autographs? And we wanted to put it into a super premium build. You know, it's, this is not a cheap product. It, it's going to have an SRP it's somewhere in the ballpark of the hockey product. It's going to be a couple hundred bucks. U.S. per pack or more, um, and and we feel confident that we built the um, the content to support that. It's going to have some amazing chase in there, but it, it's pricey. Um, and the way to do that was to take all 23 films, and then all of a sudden you're looking at a list of 200 names to potentially wow. consider for checklists, not even for autographs, because as I said, the diamond cards allow you to go back through and go, okay, great. I'll take Natalie Portman, I'll take uh, you know Scarlett Johansson, and, and I'm gonna build amazing diamond cards out of that stuff. 
So you can build these unbelievable checklists that really provide for a Marvel film fan one of the most comprehensive um, collections that archives the first three phases of you know the Marvel Studios uh, work. I think that's one of the most important things. You know, we've been slowly deep diving into MCU, Ian and I, and looking around and speaking to a lot of friends of ours in the group. And I don't, you know, a lot of people are really starting to come around and understand how significant it is to collect these actors on card and what these cards look like. I mean, I think I was really taken away by the design of Exquisite from Marvel, uh, from Avengers Endgame. Like, okay. they've just looked good. It made me chase an insert set a surfer collector who hadn't chased anything. I was like, all right, let me go ahead and get one of these black exquisite cards because they just look really, really nice. So I'm kind of really excited to see what these look like design-wise. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stoked, to be honest. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, and Norin, um, in Avengers Endgame, or yeah, in Endgame, those exquisite cards uh, feature diamond relics in them. The embedded diamonds were Yeah, I saw that. So, and there are signed and unsigned versions of those diamond relics, those exquisite diamond relics in Endgame. And what was very encouraging to me for forecasting, hey, is Black Diamond Marvel going to work, buoyed by a wide selection of diamond relics, was how popular those diamond unsigned diamond relics unsigned diamond relics in endgame have proven to be because they are hundreds and hundreds of dollars and they're in permanent collections now yeah they're all locked up i mean they're hard to even find on you know ebay they're hard to find anywhere really they are they're um, really dry I mean, and some of them yeah. were selling upwards of 600 750 bucks a card and those didn't even have autographs on them i know I yeah. know. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's really good. Yeah. It's really good when you see a product and you don't know various, you know what I mean? I didn't realize there were so many that had autographs in them as well. Cause I, you know, once they get scooped up, they kind of disappear in collector's hands most of the time. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm just, so, I'm just chasing um, the relics at the moment. You know, the costumes, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my ballpark in terms of the price good. point. Um, yeah. So Ian, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the relics as you guys have likely noticed in the last few years in our Marvel cinematic product, We've really, um, actual wardrobe relics have been hard to find. We had them in Ragnarok, yeah, but I, yeah. I'm thinking from Ragnarok forward, we had them in Black Panther, um, yeah. but there's been other releases where we have not had them, and Marvel Black Diamond does have wardrobe relics in them. Yes. So that'll be another element of the content, including um, autographed wardrobe relics as well. So Whoa. I, know, I know it goes with the territory. If you're doing a super premium, you bring the big boys, and, wow. you know, and you, you drop some serious content, and we're trying to cover... You know, you're going to have autograph relics. You'll have diamond relics with autographs on them as well. Um, there's going to be some amazing technology cards, uh, all the exquisite stuff we're talking about. There'll be autograph exquisite. Um, really, really, uh, some really fun stuff. Wow. Uh, to this, I'm so looking forward to this. To, to this day, some of my favorite cards that I have in my collection, uh, which aren't Marvel, uh, are Lost Season 1. They did free cards that were autograph and uh, pieceworks, they used to call them, their, their costume cards. Yeah. And it was a free lead characters. It was Evangeline Lilly. It was uh, Josh, uh, the guy who played um, Sawyer. Um, I, can't Sawyer. Remember, I can't remember the other guy. I can't, I can't remember the other one. But there were three of them. Um, and they're beautiful. Beautiful cards. So, yeah, signed relic cards are kind of a, a, a sweet spot for me. They're, they're, they will be in, in this product. 
Good. So, um, so can I give you guys a little bit of a rundown on? The yeah, please. Yes. Yeah, yeah, please. Please. Okay. So, um, every box of Marvel Black Diamond is actually a one-pack box. So you open the box, and there's a big, fat foil wrapper of cards inside. Nice. In there will be six super premium cards. Each card is really, really thick. Um, about probably, I'd say at least as thick as your average wardrobe relic card, or maybe twice as thick in some cases. The diamond relic cards are about twice as thick. Wow. So you get the super premium kind of level of finishing on the cards that is commensurate with its price point and its positioning. So those six, of those six cards in a, in a, a pack, five of them will be branded black diamond. A, a, well, let me see. One of them will be an exquisite, and at least four of them will be Black Diamond. But you may get a second exquisite card if you're lucky. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, in an inner shipper, um, you would get five boxes of Black Diamond in an inner shipper. An inner shipper is sort of like a mini case. And, yeah, and a master right. case has two inner shippers in it. So if you're a distributor, that's kind of how you'd see it. Yeah, it's kind of a half case, yeah. It's a kind of a half case. That's correct. It's a sealed unit, though. It is a sealed unit. Mm -hmm. um, as yeah. noted, the SRP is going to be somewhere in the ballpark of what our hockey black diamond product is like. We try and position them to make sense, whether it's a, an NHL license or a Marvel license, that they're going to be built and priced not identically, but in the same ballpark. So you're looking at, you know, a few hundred bucks plus uh, per, per box. Um, the guarantees there for content, each of these one-pack boxes will feature either one autograph or diamond relic per, per box or per pack. Um, so that's, wow. the, that's the big driver, and that's why am I, you know, why is some of this stuff so expensive? But you got to, and you'll also get one exquisite card per pack as well. And there's nice. four additional cards that are going to have all sorts of other stuff, and you could get lucky, and there will be some packs that will have uh, a diamond relic and an autograph, or maybe... You'll get a second diamond relic, and you have two diamond relics in a pack, or maybe you may get two autographs in a pack. There will be a, a, a level of, how could I say, very deliberate, haphazard um, sort of randomness, but it's very carefully planned, believe it or not, um, to make sure that you do get some of those pleasant surprises on occasion. Um, regarding the lineup of content, base set uh, is a 100-card base set, and, and it's built in chronological order, starting with Iron Man 1. So card nice. 1 is going to be kind of Robert Downey Jr. from Iron Man 1, all the way up through uh, Endgame. So card 100, I don't know exactly what card 100 is, but it's going to be a character from Endgame. Maybe it's Thanos or something wow. like that. Wow. Um, and everything's going to be kind of chronological. So for the set builders, because um, I know there's a lot of folks, the, the great thing I love about um, the Marvel collectors are their set builders. And that is getting to be a bit of a lost art, especially on the sports side. That um, mm -hmm. It used to be a lot of set builders um, on sports, and not many people do that anymore. They just chase after some of the superstars. That's me. Um, but in Marvel, they love it. So we, we try and build um, the sets with some thought that if you build this, you kind of have a chronological history of some of the key characters from the first 23 films. And if you want to put it into sheets and binders, it kind of displays like that. You know, so you're going to go from Iron Man to, I think, like Hulk to, you know, all, all the order of those 23 films. So it's really neat in that sense. That 100-card set um, is going to parallel to an autographed version for select characters. Obviously, the actors that we can get under contract for signature. So you get autograph parallels for a selection of those cards. 
Um, you and and um, just to clarify, of if it's an important character, like let's say it's Captain America, Captain America is definitely going to have more than one card in the base set. He's going to have a he'll he'll have um, a card that will be for the very first Captain America film. He'll likely have another card for Winter Soldier. He'll have another card probably for Infinity War, something like that. So some of the bigger characters will have three or four cards. Now, if it's mm-hmm. like uh, a relatively minor character, they'll probably just have one card. So just to give you an understanding of the cadence, Black Panther will have multiple cards, et cetera. But it's, it's linked to a, a very common sense understanding of like, are they anchoring a film or were they a major character in that film? Yeah. So, wow. um, stated, you're going to have an autograph parallel. Um, then you're going to have a the coolest parallel. Uh, there's two of them. They're really, really cool. The first one is the Infinity War Diamond Relics parallel that that is uh, based on the Infinity Gauntlet. And as we all know, there's six stones on that gauntlet, and they're all different colors. So we decided, why don't we make a six diamond relic card? Oh. So six, and they're all different diamonds. Because you can get tinted diamonds. You can get the gold diamonds and red di- red stones and green stones. They're really, really cool. Um, so we matched the color of the diamonds and the order that those stones were placed on the gauntlet itself on these cards to put them in a bar at the bottom of the card. And those cards are numbered of 23 copies per, which is in reference to the 23 films that encompass phases one through three. So everyone, and there's only like 75 of those cards from the 100 card set because 25 characters in the 100 card set had no association with the infinity gauntlet seeming. So we didn't make mm. because they weren't directly related to the storyline of the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos. Right. Wow. But those are going to look so cool. Uh, I'm so excited. Three copies per. How cool would that be to pull that from a pack? And you're like, wow. I am a god. Look at this card. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds so sick. Okay. So the next wow, that's one awesome. We did, the next really cool Diamond Relic, we did another um, diamond, a parallel off the 100-card checklist. And again, the fact that the 100-card checklist features all the actors in chronological order of the films gives you a great launching spot to do some really neat parallels. <laughs> we then took, um, as referenced, Black Diamond and Hockey became a super premium brand in 2015. So we took the rookie card designs from all of the hockey years, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. Um, and we took those designs and we put them into the eras that the films were released around that time. And so oh, you will gosh. see oh, nice. a pickup of those sports designs with the Marvel Cinematic actors in them. And it's so cool. They, they, they came out looking so cool because the, some of those sports designs are just fantastic designs. They look oh, so great. They're really um, great. And, and those are going to be limited to the year of the original design. So the 2015 design will only have 15 copies per card produced. The 2016 design will only have 16 copies produced. So there's between, I think, 15 and 18 or 15 and 19 copies of each of those sort of retro design um, diamond parallels. Again, uh, they look so cool. They look they look so neat because it's all. Oh, new. I love that. The, although the checklist parallels it, the um, photos are all new, um, and the uh, the designs are all different. So it what a neat set to collect. Both of those sets, as diamond relic sets for set builders, to collect the, the Infinity Gauntlet parallel set would be a huge challenge. But I think we know there's some super collectors that are out there that are going to try and do it because heck, there's people collecting oh, yeah. uh, Columbo's masterpiece metallurgy sets, and there's only 25 mm-hmm. of each of those. Cards, mm. and we know there's people yeah. after those, right? One so I think, away. He's got three to go. Yeah, one of them's three yeah. away. 
One of our yeah, friends is three and, away and, from and the I whole think set. What's going to happen is you're going to have some people go. You know what? I think that Thanos Gauntlet Diamond Relic set is so cool. I'm going to try and do all 75 of them. And so even oh, well, if somebody else pulls one in a break or out of a box, they may not think, oh, I'm going to build a set, but they know there's going to be demand for it. So we want to make sure that what we're building has um, collecting thematic relevance that creates a vibrant um, market in the secondary market so people can buy, sell, trade, uh, and support the value of what they're purchasing. So many of us fund the hobby with the hobby. You know, if we feel like we're opening up a product that maybe we're half interested in, but it's really cool. If we get something where we're like, all right, I got this amazing big card, but there's this insert set I want to check. I want to chase. We see it in the group all the time where people just are swapping just yeah. to get what they're looking for. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. It's like hot cards, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So um, the uh, some of the other content in there, we have a uh, we have one insert that pairs diamonds and autographs together. And we only wanted to do one of those in the pairings because we want to make that special. That's an insert called Gemography, and that Gemography insert actually has history dating back twenty years. Uh, it it was one of the early inserts in the old Black Diamond products. And that was always an autograph insert, gemography. Um, and this one, um, it is all the gemography cards are limited to the 25 serial number copies per card. And there's more than 20 different actors that have participated in this product. So you're going to find, you know, Chris Evans, Captain America gemographies, uh, Chris Hemsworth, um, you know, Paul Bettany, uh, you know, some some amazing uh, people. They'll all have gemography autographs to go chase with a diamond paired with the autograph itself, limited to 25 copies per so um, that's a pretty good rundown of some of the diamond content in this product. We talked, we made a wow. reference earlier that there's wardrobe relic cards. There's um, single, dual, and triple character wardrobe relics, and there is single character wardrobe relic autographs as well. Mm. So those will be kind of cool. Another element of Black Diamond um, that was established back in 2015 with when we changed the hockey product into a super premium is an element called manufactured patches. And manufactured patches are, um, and we have them in we have them in Marvel Publishing. I'm sure you guys have seen um some of the uh, maybe uh oh let's say like i think daredevil had um a or dr strange had letter patches where you yeah. could have a d and an r and an s and you could yeah. build that nameplate and, uh, and, and, and you see the yeah. little the little comic corner panels that would have the little teeny headshots from the old vintage comics yes. turn that into a patch uh, a man yeah. we call them a manufactured patch it either could be woven or embroidered 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 is more of the um how could I say more raised bumpy fabric that you would see on like a yes. college sweatshirt or, or yeah. a sports uniform or a baseball like cap or something. Yeah. Like, like a baseball. Yeah. Exactly. Those are typically more popular than the woven, but with the, cause the woven is flat, but the woven mm. allows you to do far more detailed representation of photography. So it depends which you want to do. And what we did back in 2015 with black diamond, we took that manufactured patch concept and we took a lot of in, in hockey, they have some of the best, um, logos in all of any of the major sports uh, most notably like the chicago blackhawks logo is is uh, um by and large regard widely regarded as one of the greatest american sports logo of all time um and and we wanted to take those logos and we could take a favorite like the the aforementioned connor mcdavid he he's a member of the edmonton oilers and the, their logo is like a big orange and blue oil drop because edmonton is oil country so we we took six cards and you could build a puzzle to build the full oil drop logo um it, it was a giant logo that was split in imagine one big patch about the size of a small pizza and you cut it up into six pieces and you use the top left piece for one card
card, the middle piece for another card, and the frame around that card is going to be the same frame. It'll be a picture of Connor McDavid, but you're pick you're picking up multiple copies of that card because the patch in the middle is a puzzle piece. So you need wow. to collect all six different pieces to build the puzzle. And then once you display it, it looks amazing. So we took that concept and we did the movie posters for like Black Panther and Ragnarok and Infinity War. Yes, Norman, I know. Yes. That's um, a great idea. Built, I think it's either a six or a nine piece puzzle that will ultimately display that movie poster. It's going to be really cool. And unlike the, the sports version, each of the frames that is the card itself will be unique. It'll be a unique character. So you'll have a collection of, let's say it's the Black Panther one. You'd have a Chadwick Boseman card. You'd have, um, you know, a Martin Freeman card. You'd have an Angela Bassett card. Uh, and you take nine key char- characters. It'll be a Killmonger card, etc. And each of them will have a card that maybe you know, maybe Chadwick is the middle piece, and maybe Angela Bassett's top left corner, and maybe nice. um, you know Michael B. Jordan is bottom right corner, and you have to build all nine cards to display as your full puzzle, which will be, by the oh. way, I believe it's nine cards should display really nicely in a nine pocket sheet. Yes, for thank you. So that's another element that is inherent to the DNA of Black Diamond. It has been since we flipped it into a super premium construction five years ago. Uh, that you are going to see in Marvel. Uh, there's also wow. going to be manufactured patches where we take like let's say you take like the the uh, Avengers logo and you just do that as it's not a puzzle it's just one patch uh, and there that may be an autograph of Chris Evans or something like that with it with a little headshot of Captain America on that card so it'll be like an Avengers Captain America auto manufactured patch card so you get some of those cards too um, another element of content in there, uh, the exquisite cards. The exquisite set is a 50-card checklist, um, and it has six, I believe, six different parallel colors that are each numbered of 23 that um, reflect the colors of Thanos's gauntlet. So there'll be like a green parallel, a red parallel, a blue parallel, etc. So we really know that, obviously, you guys talk a lot about um, some of your favorite uh, characters that you collect. Certainly, that's more in the publishing universe, but we know yes. there's also favorite characters that, that re- relate into the cinematic universe yeah. as well. You know, like oh, yeah. Sir Black Cat for you guys. But um, that'll allow people to collect what we call a rainbow. Uh, which is a full run of parallels. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, Where if your favorite character is, uh, I don't know, um, the Black Widow, let's say, you can collect the base Black Widow exquisite card. I think it's like numbered of 150. And then all six of her colored parallels that are all uniformly numbered of 23 per, which is kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's not too cold and not too hot. It's the 23 not impossible, oh, but it's not nice. too easy. It's that's just nice. right, you know. That's just nice. so I love that. Of porridge. There's an English drop word drop for you, Ian. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> not oatmeal. We'll call it porridge. Um, so we we were excited about that because we want to try and balance these. We want to present a multiple different options for people to collect that are challenging but not impossible. And also for multiple different budgets as well. So in this product, we so we we put a lot of thought into the print runs, the cadences, how they drop, what the content is, because we want to make sure these cards have homes so that, that people are going to want to collect it and they get the collecting themes. Like, oh, I want to build that puzzle to for the Ragnarok poster because I'm a huge Taika Waititi fan and mm-hmm. you know I, I want that poster, so I'm going to collect all nine of those. Or I want to collect the Black Widow exquisite rainbow, so I'm going to collect all six of those plus the exquisite base. 
Uh, in addition, on the exquisite stuff, we all, there are exquisite autographs as well. So you'll get a run of exquisite autographs, again, with 20 or more signers uh, involved in those as well. So super cool. And there is also, I believe, a one-of-one one black auto parallel just for the big chase collectors that like the crazy stuff. They're like, oh, $5,000 for me is no problem. I love $5,000. Yeah, those kind of guys. Um, that we got that stuff in there too, because you know we you got to have some monster hits in there as well. Oh, they aren't yeah, really meant yeah. for completest completionist collectors. They're meant for just like I got better cards than you'll ever dream of having kind of people that want to collect. I that wish stuff. one day I get to say that one day. One day <laughs> I'll get. This. No, I but I think that's really nice though because like, you know, you have so many collectors who pull that one of one card and then they can chase the whole set because they are selling to those super collectors. Right. You know what I mean? It's that it's, it's that it's that uh, what is that called? You know that that pool memory that you don't forget. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, I remember I pulled this auto or I pulled this one of one. It just sounds like it's just going to be such a fun product all around. Yeah, and I haven't even touched on some of the regular chase cards are in there. They all have a, a various technology associated with them. Like diamond, uh, diamond facet is a really cool set. It's um, essentially a thick trading card with a window punched right through it, with an acetate image of the character in the window, embedded in the window. It's like trapped. So it's like a window pane, basically. Uh, and you can kind of put your hand in the back of the card and you can see your fingers sort of opaque through the back of that part. Um, really cool technology cards, um, some amazing foil board cards in there as well. So hopefully, um, you know, we've built uh, a product that resonates with uh, the consumers that, um, you know, delivers on what I've had a vision for four years, five years of delivering a comprehensive super premium Marvel Studios product that treats the roster of characters in the Marvel Universe similar to how I envisioned and, and was working in the sports world of a professional sports players association. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've 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 you're delivering it. Um, we uh, we're not sure this episode will drop around the time of Black Diamond coming out, so it won't be an immediate um, drop. Um, but it's um, it what what it makes me think of is was your Marvel Studios first ten years set kind of almost a. a your first one where you encompassed multiple movies was that was that kind of your stepping stone if you like to kind of a proof of concept and b just seeing how collectors would would receive if you move the black diamond uh, brand into into that um for me, I wasn't as heavily involved in that product. I was a little bit involved in it. Um, and we, we honestly, we were under pretty heavy deadlines timing-wise to get that out because um, Marvel wanted us to release that in the timing that they were celebrating the 10 years. So yeah, sure. you had to, it could not slide. Mm. You know, honestly, whether this Black Diamond product hits in, uh, you know, February or March, it doesn't make a huge difference, you know. Um, but, right. but. When you're told by Marvel Studios, hey, you got to release this on um, this 10th anniversary product right on this time slot, um, that doesn't mean you, that means timing is of the essence. And you've got to make sure you can build a product that can hit that date, not a product that has all the bells and whistles and the crazy stuff you want to put into a product. So um, was it a warm up? Yeah. And it had some great stuff in there that was really, really uh, neat stuff. I love the autograph cards in them. The design for the autographs was really, really well done. Um, so it had some neat stuff in there and it, it was a warm up for trying to wrap our heads around how to build a bigger product. But really with Marvel Black Diamond, uh, I wanted to bring a super premium in there that had all 23 films that was built and delivered like a sports super premium. 
Gotcha. All right. Well, it feels like some inserts are going to be first time making an appearance in the Marvel world, mm-hmm. right? Judging from how they're coming over from the sports world, similar to like Marvel Retro, where you had PMGs and uh, you know jambalayas, all that kind of good stuff. So it feels like I think with them. So I'm excited about multiple things, and I'm going to list them off because I'm a dork. So there you go. I'm excited about <laughs> how different every card's going to be. Like I appreciate that so much because I think one of the cool things about Flare Retro, uh, Flare Ultra with like Flare Ultra Spider-Man was the X-Century cards and how they were numbered. You know what I mean? Like if it was the first card in the X-Century, it only had like a one, it had a one of one variant or whatever the case may be. You know, it very much varied. I love the creative numbering that we got going on here in this product. And it feels like, yes, you're buying a box at a higher price point, but you're going to get such a variety of inserts in that one pack that it feels like you're, you know what I mean? It feels like you get a window into every kind of card that's in the set so it gives you kind of like i mean for me that's what happens when i unpack a pack of cards or something like that i look at i'm like okay this gave me a taste for this insert this gave me a taste for this puzzle that i can Mm. build this uh the of the movie poster which by the way i love those movie posters i'm so excited to see that kind of stuff come into fruition um so brilliant so exciting so so you've been working on this for years you guys are ready this is coming about you must be very nervous and exhausted good sir <laughs> i i'm excited that's for sure we really have been working on this for several years and it's, it's not it's not me i'm just one of many people that have worked on this and um you know kudos to ken james he's our coordinator on this product i think travis had pointed out in a prior show with you guys yes. that our coordinators are are unheralded under uh you know superstars in in the belly of our company uh and ken has been there and, and zach in our talent relations uh they've been there blowing for blow, um, leading the charge, trying to land uh, the autograph deals and and figure out the budget and how to get all those autographs placed in there. Um, and we've got an amazing array of signers, returning signers and new signers that um, uh, really are, you know, capture, I think, a, a, a very strong representation of um, that universe of characters. Um, so, and, and you got all the brand team working very hard and the designers and so many people have worked, uh, put so much uh, blood, sweat, and tears into it that, yes, on the cusp of seeing this idea come to fruition, yeah, I can't wait till I get a box of it in my hands and go, ha ha, look, we did it. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Open a nice can, T. Just set it down. Quiet moment for yourself. <laughs> Open yeah, the product. No fava beans. <laughs> no no um, fava beans. Just, just curious, because obviously Premiere on the publishing side is, is obviously that sketch-based product. Comes in a tin with that, and then you open it, and you've got that recess with the packet inside it. Is this going to have a tin as well? It doesn't. Now, Premier, as you referenced, has got that beautiful big tin, and it's got yeah. that on a tray. It's almost a yes. tray, and that tray yeah. was built. It's built specifically to hold the different style of the multi-panel sketches that That's are right. the primary linchpin for why people think Marvel Premiere is amazing. Um, this product doesn't have that, right? We don't have multi-panel sketch cards in there. You don't mm-hmm. need uh, the bells and whistles on packaging. And honestly speaking, we wanted to make sure we weren't spending unnecessary dollars on packaging that could be more well funneled into um, technology, substrates, autographs, diamonds, gotcha. content, real content. So, Smart. And also we mimic the packaging that was already existent for the Black Diamond Hockey. So what it is, it, it is oh. a little box. You know, I'd probably say it's... I don't know, six inches by four inches um, with that one big fat pack inside of it. 
Um, nice. wow. that, and it's fun. You get a big fat pack <laughs> of cards. You you get that big fat foil wrapper. That's fun to rip that open and kind of slow roll one card at a time, real slow. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just picture no one's going to be like 24 hours glued to YouTube watching all these yeah. breaks. Is I, I am. No, I really, I because re- I love that. I love the momentum. I love the excitement that comes with breaks. And, you know, Ian and I have done a few and they've gone over really well. Like we were able to break Marvel Masterpieces uh, 2020 and Ian and I were just like geeking out and looking at the back and front of the car and just taking our time. And I'm just so excited about this. And I'm usually not like the MCU guy at all, but I think I'm I think I might be taking a deep dive on this. I'm definitely getting a box for sure. But I'm really excited to see this, especially what always gets me with sets is the ingenuity right and creativity that comes with a set you know it's not necessarily the signers or the checklist or how expansive it is for me it has to do with how creative and you guys are always very creative with this how creative is the actual inserts the set the technology everything you've mentioned before that just gives me a, a, a real level of excitement for for this product i'm really looking forward to it yeah thank you so much for sharing this grant really appreciate you going through the going through all this this is this is seriously it's gonna some people are gonna be going hard on that and i mean oh yeah Um, they're gonna lose their minds i can see it already they're gonna lose their homes probably but um (laughs) we've got cardboard boxes remember if you give us your mailing address we mail you a cardboard box to live in i have one and has one they keep you warm warm. there you go yeah, oil exactly. things. There you go. Um, oil it's... packs keep you warm. <laughs> I see it. I see it. I can live that. I can live that life. I'm there. We could work it. We could work it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I know we we touched upon this in that this year's obviously this past twelve months for for all sorts of reasons has been unprecedented and there's a word that appears on every single news broadcast ever at the moment, but um, for the wrong reasons. But that in turn has well, whether it's whether it was always going to happen or whether it's it's been accelerated by by the events of the last twelve months, I don't know. But we are in the middle of of, of a, a boom, a bubble, whatever you want to call it. Boom, uh, hard boom. Where there's almost not quite enough out there to satisfy demand. Um, certainly, you know, I mean, I've seen. Uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, in the UK, we're not blessed to have stores that stock you know sports products but i've been in you know targets in america and you go in and you can buy you know nfl product contenders is, is my one on the nfl side of things or you can buy star wars products and you know you can do that and i've seen pictures of the aisles and they've just been empty for months yeah as soon as the stock comes it's in you know, there's there's 20 30 heavy set yeah, guys they're, they're up since 5 a.m yeah um <laughs> and you know they, they've been queuing since 5 a.m some of these these folk to get these cards so um so it's interesting that that's going there and and one thing that i know you mentioned grant on an email to us recently and i saw when it happened is a guy on twitter who a lot of people follow and he's got a pretty crazy feed actually i went back and looked at it and he was um asking um effectively what do you think is going to be the next area that's just going to attract a lot of speculation and a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of people sort of moving to invest in it i guess um i can't remember what the options were but one of them was marvel cards yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was. It was Gary Vinerchuk. Is the. Uh, That's it. Thank you for pronouncing it. 
Thank you for pronouncing yeah, it. And, Even uh, I've got it written down here, and I'm I'm not going to take a run at it. Uh, and, and more commonly references Gary V uh, in Hot uh, Yes. Okay. Which uh, you know what's funny? I can tell you a very quick story about uh, the reference of Gary V. I was reading one of the message boards a few weeks ago, uh, talking about uh, what your reference here, Ian, that Gary on his podcast um, had mentioned. Hey, these four areas are untapped for trading cards, and um, somebody popped onto the chat board and said, "Who's Gary V?" And they said, uh, "He's the son of Gary the Fourth." But I never thought of him as Gary the Fifth, but. Uh, you know, like some sort of uh, old English king named Gary, but uh, but I thought that was hilarious. In, in any in any case, Gary Vinerchuk, um, he has uh, I think around 2.2 million followers on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. 2.2 million. So he has been, um, you know, a, a very um, powerful uh, voice in the past year or so. And really, that was um, he drew a lot of attention from sports collectors. Most notably, what he first went crazy on was modern era basketball cards. He went bonkers on them. And that modern era basketball market is now so expensive where you have products that were initially um, built the products from a year ago that were initially built and intended to be placed on a hobby shop for let's say $150 a box that are $1,200 a box now Oof. where a pack would have been $12 is now $200 I mean, it's literally that expensive yeah. and you're finding that with NFL football as well um, where that, the market on um, new boxes and packs has gotten mm. so blown up that those collectors now are saying you know what um, that's I'm going to look elsewhere. Um, and uh, what they've been priced, they what they've been moving into is some of the Marvel stuff. We've seen a huge blow up in the hockey market uh, as well, and that's just in the past two months. But I'm sure in the past, I've seen about three, four months really strong upticks. Uh, like if you look at the secondary market values on the Dave Palumbo masterpieces product on the key hits, they've gone up in value. Usually they up, don't. Up, Usually, up. Yeah, up, up, up. Look, the metallurgies and the autographs numbered of 10, the Palumbo signed. Those things you got are... printing plates selling consistently, like for 400 a printing plate. Like it's gone ex extremely high on, on things we hadn't seen Jusco set, like MM16 reach. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah, definitely. And that's large, and by and large, in large part to this new group of um, collectors that, um, you know, they, they did not exist in this market before. They are new uh, and they are excited and they've got some money and they want to collect a, a lot of the premium stuff you know they're not going after marvel annual they're going after masterpieces right uh, and they're going to go after premiere and they're going to go after black diamond big time i think because it's geared to what yeah. they're what resonates with them but getting back to gary vinerchuk uh, a lot of those new collectors listened to gary vinerchuk and they were buying basketball cards and now gary says hey as ian ref you reference hey one of the four things he pointed out oh by the way three of the four things were not sports cards they were entertainment cards i can't remember all the categories i can't remember what i they think were, no. pokemon was one of them pokemon was one. Like, pokemon was yeah. one i told my son i'm like oh you got pokemon cards i've got it here I it's happening it. he's like you can't <laughs> touch my pokemon cards dad <laughs> Um, 
But you're right. And Pokemon's like blown up too, right? Pokemon is totally yeah, blowing Pokemon's up. Yeah, really blown up. But yeah. Gary not only pointed out Marvel cards, he said Marvel Comics cards. And, and is it, it just speaks to, yeah. you know, some of the interest. I think he was referencing both the, the great era of the mid-90s stuff that we know and, and love so much and also all the more modern stuff like the masterpieces and the premieres and all the great stuff that, um, you know, that we're putting out now as well. And I think that is very much going to hold true in some of the Marvel Studio stuff as well. Yeah. So his, oh, his yeah. exact I question, mean, yeah. his exact question, well, which cards are overlooked? A, Garbage Pail Kids, B, Marvel Comics cards, C, Alternative Rookies, a.k.a. JMS Charles Barkley. I've no idea what that sentence means. And D, 1940 Superman cards. That's yeah, a wild I think card. I, he's on an island by himself with the 40 Superman stuff. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but certainly, um, we have all seen, I mean, I saw at auction some of the 1990s era sealed boxes of like old, you know, I think Fleer Ultra Spider-Man boxes and old Flare boxes. Mm. Um, let's face it, they were not low print runs. They, that was back in the 90s. They printed a lot of that stuff. Um and um, we've been track we we've been tracking some of that stuff at auction. Those are going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars per box now. Yes. And just a year ago, you could have picked them up for twenty, thirty dollars, forty dollars a box. Yeah, Marvel Universe. People couldn't give them away. Like yeah. nineteen ninety two Marvel Masterpiece box, the Dojusco box. People are getting those boxes for like three five hundred dollars now consistently. Yeah. The Marvel Masterpieces nineteen ninety six are like listed at five thousand best offer. People are picking that up for two to three. The other big set that wasn't didn't have that you know had a lot of print run right the 90 cards had tons was marvel premiere you know the yes. 1990 marvel marvel uh premiere and that those tins are going and gone and people are getting into the grading now too which i'm really excited to see what people do with black diamond because that sounds like a perfect set for some grades from grading autos and all that other kind of stuff so it's 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 up and up <laughs> i keep saying yeah, that but yeah sure. it's definitely going Oof. Well, you know, the only way is up, baby, as Yaz used to sing in the pop charts back in the 80s in the UK. Um, so, <laughs> well, Upstairs at Eric? <laughs> uh, by the way, by the way, just a little callback. The hotel where Rob Kennedy was assassinated is the Ambassador Hotel. That's it, the Ambassador Hotel. Yeah. I went there as a kid. That's in Hollywood. Um, I, I went there as a kid. They had, I think, shows are about twice a year, and they were so epic. They were so epic. That's cool, man. I'll tell you one more. Can I tell you one more little story? You, that you tell us whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. There's a great story about my dad, my dad, Michael. Um, he, As I said, he took us, uh, me and like three of my dirty, scruffy friends when we were 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, 13 years old, to the show. And he would he would buy us all lunch uh, at a, a restaurant called Andre's in, in, in uh, Fairfax. And we'd pig out there and he'd take us to the show. And we'd go buy comics for like three hours. So he goes in with us one time to the show. And I, I, a copy of Spider-Man number eight, the original Spider-Man number eight. Okay. And I, at this point in time, I'm like 13 years old and I think it was 25 bucks. Okay. It wasn't in great shape, but it was 25 bucks. And to me, that was a lot. That was like, I, I probably had like 40 bucks that I had saved from allowances and mowing lawns and doing whatever. Um, and I wanted the Spider-Man eight. So my dad, who uh, is a bit of a showman and a bit of a storyteller himself, um, goes up to, and he's, he's British. You know, as I told you, I was born in London. So my parents have the English accent. So he goes up to the dealer who did look somewhat like the Simpsons comic book guy. Uh, <laughs> 
and he says, "Good sir, you a gambling man." And the uh, the and and me and my friends were like, "Ooh, something's gonna happen." And people started crowding around, the, and the dealer said, "You know, I am a gambling man." He's like, "Well, I'll t- I tell you what, I'll give you a double or nothing on a coin flip. Uh, if, you know, heads I get it for free, tails uh, I'll pay you fifty dollars." And and by that point in time, some people had gathered around the table. And I'm like, "Oh my god, my dad's crazy!" What you know? And sure enough, we got that. He won the coin flip. The guy gave him the comic. Book, uh, so I got Spider Man number eight for nothing. Oh, so, oh and it was, and I, you know, what's crazy is when you think about your parents, how many memories do you have that are that crystal clear um, when you were a kid with, with your dad or your mom? Yes. Uh, and that's yeah. one that is crystal clear in my mind, and it was around comic books. I love that's amazing. That's so that's much. Obviously, amazing. it was a double sided coin. Right? Was that? Yeah, that was yeah that's right. Out. <laughs> Your dad's a smart guy. Sterling <laughs> coin and, and confused the dealer. Did you did you like to keep that coin and encapsulate it into a card and put it? I wish product? I did. I wish yes. I did. <laughs> um, so oh. I'm I. There's so much I, I want to ask you. I'd like to think that we're probably going to talk to you again at some point, hopefully in the future. Um, I'd love that. Because yeah, uh, you know, because with all our upper deck guests, I don't want it to be just one and done. You know, you've you guys have got constant um, stuff that's going on that we want to talk about. There's lots of personalities there. There's lots of fascinating backstories like like the one you just mentioned, uh, which I absolutely love. Um, So very quickly, we we always ask a few um, quick fire kind of questions of our guests. Um, So I'm going to first off start with Avengers or X-Men? X-Men. And that dates back to me being an absolute John Byrne fanboy. Uh, I mean, you got to keep in mind when I was really collecting hardcore, the hottest book out was John Byrne's X-Men. You know, with Terry Austin and Claremont. Um, you know, I think the first X-Men I bought off the rack at Fantasy Castle um, was X-Men 130, the Dazzler cover. Um, and, you know, so I got right in time for the Dark Phoenix storyline and all yes. that stuff. And as you might imagine, oh, I went back. Oh, um, past, of course. Yeah, and I was buying all the back issues. And, like, I bought a giant size number one at that, at that ambassador show. And I still wow. have that. I still have Giant Size One. I need ninety four, but I still have Giant Size One. That was one of my anchors to my collection as a kid, and one of the books that I kept in that one box of comics that I didn't sell off when I was a college student, looking for some more Whoa. beer money. Um, <laughs> it actually, not beer money. It was money to move and get furniture and stuff like that. Um, but I kept it and I still have it. So yeah, I mean, even when I was a kid, I worked on my back issues of, you know, getting all X Men one hundred eight through one forty three, which was Burns Run, and um, mm. I, you know. I have, have managed to almost recomplete it in the in my more recent stint in collecting. I still need a few books, and I still need 94, which is obviously not a burn book. Um, but um, you know, I got to find my right timing to go spend the several hundred dollars that that one requires. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm going to yep. drop a new question on you because your John Byrne conversation has, has reminded me of, of of something. Undiscovered comic book gem that you would recommend to people. Undiscovered comic well, Maybe books. not undiscovered might be the wrong word. Um, less known that people should actively seek out. Hmm. Well, we did talk about it earlier, but it's pretty well known. Like the two books that Mobius did for Surfer, there's only two of them, right? And it's, it's regarded only as one of Stan Lee's greatest all-time stories, right? This, 
the parable. Um, you know, that's a, those are great yeah. books that, that people should buy. It's only two books. Um, but if you really want, um, you know, a wonderful kind of thing to do, that that's it for sure. Right. It's a great oh. story. It's a great story because it reads it reads like a it reads like a graphic novel. You know, it really comes from the standpoint of like what the world is doing at this time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it actually has real relevance to 2020. I don't know how it's like I, I they actually just came out with like a hardcover of the book. So you can get like both issues like in an omnibus, omnibus type of thing for Parable. Yeah, I do People have another one. I do have another one. I'm a I'm a total. My favorite artist of all time is Jack Kirby. I oh, literally, yeah. if, I was, if my wife allowed me to make a little Jack Kirby shrine, I would. Uh, <laughs> you know, with like tiki torches on the side and whatnot. But um <laughs> I'm a huge Jack Kirby guy, and um, there's a lot of his books from the 70s that really are kind of overlooked that have some of the most amazing art. Um, and what I love about Kirby is his double-page, um, double, two-page splashes. Like, you open them up, and it's this monstrous piece of art, you know? And he really didn't start doing that until the 70s. He really started doing it when he jumped to D.C. in his Fourth World trilogy, in all the Fourth World books, like New Gods, yeah. uh, Forever People... Uh, Jimmy Olsen uh, and Mr. Miracle, uh, most notably in some of the New Gods books. So there's amazing, amazing double splash panels there. Um, but if you go into Black Panther, um, the Black Panther 70s run has amazing stuff. The Captain America 70s run has amazing doubles. Even Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur is like cheap. And the artwork oh, in there is insane with Mike Royer inking it. It's just... You open it up and you just want to turn around and slap your mom and stop yourself from slapping your mom because the art's so good. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like I feel like a, a a movie that's coming out. Speaking of MCU, that's going to kind of harken back to Kirby's designs. It's going to be the Eternals. The Eternals. Right? That's another one. I'm I mean, sorry, you're right. The Eternals has amazing artwork in it. It's such a cool book that forever was like in the dollar bins and the dust bins of comic book history. That Kevin Feige said, No, no, no. Jack Kirby is a 12 foot tall stud, and I'm going to pay some respect and yeah, build this. Into, he built an entire universe after getting basically kicked out of Marvel in 1977 came back to him and then gave Marvel a whole new universe with the Eternals of all new characters he didn't need to you know I think the Hulk pops up in, in a couple of those early books but by and large he built a whole new universe and gave it to Marvel Publishing and said here you go I'm Jack Kirby this is what I do every day <laughs> No problem, you know? All day, every day. I do this all day, every day. I do it in my sleep. And Feige's like, yeah, this is awesome. Everyone knows, everyone likes the cosmic-style Marvel stuff, and, and Kirby is the king of that cosmic-style stuff, um, you know, right. with the next awesome. universe. And, Kirby's response. It's Kirby's influence that kind of inspired Ragnarok, you know what I mean, and gave us those set designs. I mean, before that, Marvel movies, look, superhero movies before that were not colorful. Probably the most colorful superhero movie was Dick Tracy back in the day, if you remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was it. You know, you had everything dark, 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 and then Ragnarok came around, and it's the sets are just filled with Kirby-inspired color, and it's just drenched. It's really For sure. Quite- and then, and and if you think about Kirby's greatest runs, you know his greatest run is obviously the Fantastic Four. He did issues one through a hundred and, and issue one hundred eight. Um, but his second greatest run was on Thor. He did a he created Thor, right? He did Journey yeah. in Mystery eighty three. He did the early books, um, and then he came back around. Oh, gosh. Um, Back in the journey of the mystery stuff. I mean, and he ran all the way through like issue 170. And there's some epic, epic Thor books like Thor 150 with Hela on the cover. That cover, man, that'll make grown men weep. 
Um, he did Thor 166 and 167. That's the first Warlock. He was called him back then. Those books are red hot. Yeah. He did the the oh. the um, Origin of Galactus in issue 168 and 169. Those books. That's right. But you want to get like um un books that people aren't thinking about. Thor 168, 169, the Origin of Galactus. That 168 cover and the 169 cover are so cool. And the 165 <laughs> cover with him with the black cover with him pointing out. It's so cool. Love it. I, I could ramble on about Kirby for like a whole episode. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well we, might, we might well do that at some point. Um, and uh, I, always, I ask this of everyone, and I kind of know what the answer is going to be. So you're going to surprise me and tell me that you don't have one. But everyone seems to have had a Marvel trading card made of them uh, in the Legendary series as a bystander. So have you, have you had a card made of yourself? in there or anywhere else in in a crazy spin on it i have but it was made i've had two but they were made by competitors of upper deck um <gasps> I, when i worked at beckett um i started working at beckett in 1990 i was like uh, yeah. about 11 years old i kid i was not 11 um <laughs> When I was young. I was pretty young. I was just out of college. Um, and in 1992, the uh, sports card national convention was held in Atlanta. And Topps had a big setup at the time. And I was an, an analyst and an editor for Beckett at the time. So we kind of got to talk to everybody. We got to go to the private parties. I Oh, I got some stories about all that stuff as well. <laughs> I, I, I did. I went to some neat parties back in the day in the 90s. Um, but um, one of the promotions they had at the 1992 National Convention that Topps did was they were making trading cards for you. And they used the 1992 baseball design. And they only did it for members of the hobby media. So there was only about eight or ten people that got cards made. Um and I was one of those people. There was like four of us oh, from nice. Beckett that had a card made. Uh, I think Jim Beckett had a card made. Uh, uh, we, Rich Klein is a, a long-standing yes. old friend of mine. He had a card made. I had a card made. And I literally look like I'm 12 years old. I, I, I you know, I couldn't have grown a beard <laughs> if I tried to hold my breath for two hours straight and, you know, every day. And, <laughs> Try and squeeze the hair out of my face. I, I, you know, I was so young. My parents have a copy of that card now. Wow. Uh, but it's funny to look at it because I look like a little baby. Um, but that was my quote unquote rookie card. And I'm a Dodgers fan. I grew up in LA, right? So I bleed Dodger blue. I hated the Atlanta Braves, man. I hated them. They were on TBS <laughs> on national TV. I hated it with a fiery passion. And they made you wear a ba Atlanta Braves baseball cap and jersey. So there I am wearing like the enemy's uniform. Oh, uh, wow. Like, 10 years old on, a, uh, on my on my quote-unquote rookie card. Oh, that's freaking great. That's yeah, that's oh, hilarious. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> my parents had a pattern copy of that thing still, still like with a fridge magnet on my parents' refrigerator. I didn't, I didn't expect <laughs> that story. This is wonderful. Yeah. I this love wonderful. it. Grant, you, you truly do. As as we talked about with Travis, you are truly the man who knows where all the skeletons are and where all the bodies are buried. So uh, <laughs> we will definitely be hitting you up for more of these stories soon. Um, and Black Diamond aside, I'm going to ask you one final question. Your proudest moment professionally at Upper Deck? Huh. Now, there's Boy. a curveball for you. <laughs> Yeah, um, hard to say from one, this but um, I am. I love weird stuff with trading cards. I love sort of going outside the boundaries of what is typically expected in a trading card. And when I was hired back in 2008, I actually had a, a product sketched out, um, ready to show them in my interview. Uh, because wow. I'm crazy. 
Um, and um, the idea I had, uh, it, was, it was a product that nowadays is, is, is now Goodwin Champions. It's been running since 2009. Um, and it essentially, um, the idea behind it was I wanted to take uh, a set of trading cards that incorporated sports, pop culture, history, and then had the weirdest cards ever made. And that very first Goodwin Champions was really um, buoyed by these crazy cards called Entomology. And um, what I wanted to do, it, Goodwin Champions um, was actually a cigarette brand from 1888. Um, so Allen and Ginter is a top brand uh, from yes. 18, and Allen and Ginter was a brand of cigarettes from 1887. Um, Goodwin Champions, the original cards incorporated a variety of different athletes, wrestlers, rowing, um, you know, old college football from the Harvard and Yaleys and, 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 and a selection of some of the earliest baseball cards ever made. They are regarded by vintage enthusiasts as some of the most beautiful um, cards ever made. They're beautiful hand-painted cards. But it gave us a good leaping board for what at the time was a lot of interest in like tobacco era style trading cards shown in a modern kind of, you know, uh, way. Um, and it also gave us the leaping board to do some cool stuff and, and do a multi-sport product. What I wanted to do, tobacco cards, people may think most famously of the Hannes Wagner baseball card. Like yes. basically the most desirable trading card ever made. Right. Um, and people think, oh, well, when you think of tobacco era cards, the, they only made baseball cards and that was it. And that's totally not true. They did stuff like animals and flags and they did crazy stuff like here's a yeah. set of waterfalls. They're like, why? But they did it. Um, they did birds, <laughs> all sorts of kooky stuff. So I wanted to take um, – I wanted to take butterflies because there actually did butterflies on, on, on tobacco cards back in the day. Wow. But I wanted to use real butterflies because I had been recently, I had been with my family and the kids and we went to one of these crazy museums with like beetles and butterflies and they're all like yeah. little things through them and they make these beautiful displays. And I'm sure you guys have seen some of that stuff. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, man, I think we can make trading cards like this. It'd be this would be so cool if you could make a set of 20 different butterflies, but oh, by the way, they're real little dead butterflies in there. And then I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to have really like scary stuff like tarantulas and caterpillars and scorpions? And I'd be like, that'd be amazing. I want a scorpion card. I want to rub and scare the hell out of my wife and go, look, it's a scorpion. <laughs> and I wanted to just have like those water cooler moments in cards. I wanted, it's hard to make cards where the ideas are so out there that people are just going to have a water cooler moment. And can you believe this weird card? Um, so I'm like, mm. we got to do this. We got to make trading cards with insects. So, um, Again, we had a great team. Um, one of our coordinators, Rob Ford, who's still with the company, has been with the company for many, many years. He put so much blood, sweat, and tears into like purchasing insects, sorting insects, dealing, counting insects. The insects smelled horrible. Um, it just, it was crazy. Um, and we ended up making these really beautiful cards. They worked out so well. Our design team, Neil Johnson, at our design team, did a beautiful black bordered design. And it's almost like wow. a shadow box presentation of the insects and that really got Goodwin Champions going um, we had another really cool idea in that product but that early Goodwin Champions I guess would speak to one of the neater things that um, you know kind of I was involved with um, we did these presidential painting cards we wanted to take the concept of sketch cards that we had seen in the entertainment era 
Um, and this was back around 2010, 2011. Um, and we wanted to kind of upgrade it from just a, a quick sketch that maybe is done in, you know, anywhere from 10 to 50 minutes, something like that. You know, some of the sketch arts are amazing and they may spend hours, but as we know, some of them are done a little more quickly. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to do actual hand painted sketch cards. Uh, and the concept was we wanted to have a strong collecting theme that made immediate sense to somebody that compelled them to build the set. So we, and it had to be public domain. You couldn't do, um, because Goodwin Champions relied on a lot of public domain content. So the idea was we're going to do all of that time, uh, like 43 presidents. Um, and we're going to do 10 copies of each card. So a super collector has a chance to build a set pretty hard, but not impossible. Um, and we asked the artist to paint 10 hand painted exact duplicate copies of every card. And we pulled it off. I know it's so cool. We pulled it off. You can still find some of these cards. They're mostly in collections now, but you might find them on wow. eBay. Um, I have to see this. One this is amazing. No, oh, they're really neat. If you can find them, look for like Goodwin presidential sketches or Goodwin president sketch, and you'll find them on eBay. Um, and the, the we spun it off to the next idea, and Rob and I worked on this extensively. We wanted to take the Mona Lisa, uh, Starry Night, and we wanted to take some of the greatest art in the entire history of everything and turn them into trading cards. But with that, we wanted to do one, true one-on-ones because there is only one Starry Night. There is only one Mona Lisa. Right. So we did a set of 300 different unique one-of-ones that were hand-painted reproductions of the some of the most famous paintings in the world. And those are called wow. Art of the Ages. And they're in Goodwin Champions. We ran them for multiple years. And you, again, you can find them if you search on eBay for like Goodwin Art of the Ages. And some of the, when we got those back from the artists, Neil Johnson um, commissioned all those. He's our, our kind of head of design and on the sports side. And he's like, I love the idea. I know the exact guy to do it. One of his best friends is an artist named Ken Jodry, who teaches, has te taught art locally in San Diego, I think for 30 years. And he's done professional commercial art. Like if you want the world's most perfect, um, you know, bowl of oranges, Ken can do that for you. Um, and he loved the idea. Any artist loves the idea of like honoring, you know, uh, Kandinsky or Paul Clay or Matisse, you know, or, or um, some of the great uh, impressionists and kind of taking a shot at doing Remingtons and it's crazy stuff like that. And I, Picasso, I did a lot of art yeah, history. Amazing. I, I did a lot of art history. I, I love history. I did a lot, like I referenced earlier, I did terrible comic books when I was a kid, but I loved art. I did a lot of drawings and I, and I took art classes in college. And so I loved it myself. I love when I travel. I love going to museums with my wife. We always go to museums. We always go to parks just to get a sense of a city whenever you're going to a new city. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take those experiences and put it into trading cards and saying, okay, well, nobody can collect all this art and put it in their houses because all these pieces cost $30 million or $10 million. But if you wanted to, you can say, I'm going to collect all the Van Goghs out of the Goodwin, out of the 300 different art of the ages, or I'm going to collect all the Remingtons. And you can build a collection of fine art pieces through trading cards. Wow. So I love that. I, that was one of the neater ideas that we worked on as a team um, was the Goodwin out of the ages stuff too. And we haven't done anything. I, there's, Hopefully there'll be some opportunity, some creative opportunity to, to do something like that with next level sketches in Marvel Publishing. That'd be wow. great. Wow. Why not? Okay. I think that's a brilliant idea. I'm recreations. I'm, why not? They're, in, car, they're in the comic book world. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. this yeah, is maybe, maybe you could take like classic covers and have them perfectly painted or something like that. Well, people do that all the time with APs with with artists. They they you know they. It's a great idea. And some of them are incredible. The the bat they get it on a what four, 
whatever the size is. The uh, tricky part is this, is. you have to do it on yeah. a trade card. Yeah, exactly. And well, yeah, you know, when we got the, these cards back from the artist, I remember being in Neil's office and he would call uh, me in and um, he and I had to color the sides of those cards with a gold paint pen. We had, the, he was the only one, I was the only one he trusted aside from himself to do it because you can't goof it up. They came back <laughs> the sides of the cards would have paint blotches on the white sides of the cards because the cards uh. are yeah. So he wanted them to present nicely. So he, Neil and I talked to him like, well, why don't we put gold paint pen on the sides? And so he and I colored the edges of all of those cards by hand. But yeah. we also that allowed us the opportunity to go through them one by one. And every one of them, one after the next, your jaw dropped on the floor. It just made you want to weep quietly in a corner. It just it was those were some of the neatest cards I've ever been associated with. Wow. That is so crazy cool. And it's not like anything that I've done in sports or entertainment normally, because Goodwin is the home of weird. I, there, there's more weird stuff. We did a card with a relic from the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. We managed to buy a piece of cable from the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I, we wanted to make people go, what? Really? Uh, we got salt from the Dead Sea. We got sand from D-Day uh, from Normandy Beach, and we made relics of, like, world relics. Um, we did, We wanted to stretch the boundaries for what was done with trading cards, and Goodwin allowed us the template to just wow. get out there and do some crazy stuff. Uh, that sounds incredible, quite frankly. Right, Norin has gone down a rabbit hole of looking. I am so sorry. Can you see me looking yeah. at eBay right I now? Can, these things, I can. They are I can. so beautiful, Grant. Holy hell. Are you looking They're at the art pages? Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, no, are you kidding? I, mean, I, was bl- I, I had my doubts as to whether we could pull the idea off of like, how do you do, uh, oh, who's that Dutch painter that does perfect lifelike um, uh, faces? The man. Famous Dutch. Is it Vermeer? Maybe. No, 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 no. Um, I can't remember his name. But there's some of these artists that you'd think, well, like, how are you going to do the Starry Night? Let's just say for an example. Yeah. Is that going to come out looking horrible on a trading card or not? You know, or let alone uh, some of the people that are just like perfectly um, lifelike, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when they came back, we only used a handful of our best of our best artists. And when they came back, we were like, whoa, we're on to something. It is, you know, sometimes when you see the finished cards come back, you're you're really happy. And sometimes maybe, maybe you missed a few things and you got to fix them for next year. Sometimes they come back and they just knock you on your rear end. And you're like, wow. man, we, we, we stumbled onto a winner here. And it was so fun going through those cards with Neil thinking – Ooh, I can't wait till people hit these in packs. <laughs> well, on, on that note, I can't wait until people see what Black Diamond's got coming out. And you oh, know, I'm excited oh, too. I'm excited you, too. You, you, you frequently amaze me with some of the stuff that, that I see in, in products. Uh, Marvel Annual being the most recent uh, example with Creator Corners. I know they're not not terribly um, new or unique in that they're autographs, but I, I just love them. So um, keep keep doing what you're doing on that front grant um i'm looking forward to talking you to you again um and getting some more inside scoop on stuff um quite frankly i could sit here all night but um we've got hopes <laughs> to go to and work to do um so um grant all that remains for me to say is thank you for thank so you much so for much spending man. some time with us uh, both, uh, both of you guys thank, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show it's been a real blast getting to you know talk uh, about all, all the stuff that I love so much that uh, we all love so much all the, these cards and comics that we that are so near and dear to our hearts and our happiness and, and uh, it's fun it is it is indeed appreciate it. I, I miss it well uh, thanks everyone for uh 
joining us on the Marvel Card Collectors podcast. <laughs> Enjoy collecting. Enjoy collecting. Enjoy collecting, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Marvel Card Collectors podcast. Visuals and tasting notes for each episode can be found on our Facebook page. You can subscribe and leave us a voicemail via our home on anchor.fm forward slash mccp. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Please take a second to subscribe, like, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Our podcast can be found by Googling at the MCC pod, which will also find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Our Facebook community is at MCCW, Marvel Card Collectors Worldwide, and MMC, Marvel Masterpieces Collectors. The great music we use is called Rocket Power by Kevin McLeod. Thanks to the collectors, artists, and creators who support the Marvel Cards Fan Collective. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's a small hobby, but a fun one. Make mine marvel and enjoy collecting.